This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast brought to you by Wild Edge Inc. I'm your host, Walt, and on this episode, we're talking to Joey of Passion or Pursuit, and we're talking all things waterfowl related. We talk about how he got his start on the show, we talk about his favorite forms of duck hunting, we, we, we probe his mind for some different tips and tricks, and we have a, just a, an awesome time sharing our passion for the outdoors, namely waterfowl hunting in general. Before we get to this episode, and I promise I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet, I just want to say thanks to the title sponsor, Wild Edge Inc. They make the simplest, quietest tree climbing system for any of your hunting needs. I'm paring back slowly and slowly. I'm paring back more and more of my hunting gear, trying to cut back on my weight. And if you're looking for a lightweight system, consider the Wild Edge Step Ladder as each step weighs less than a pound. I use four of them with an aider and can get anywhere from 16 to 24 feet doing so. That said, I hope you enjoy the show. All right, so I am recording at this point. Anything you say, I will probably use against you at some point in time. So, Perfect. <laughs> Joey, my man, how are you doing? What's up, Walt? I am uh, counting down the days to early teal season. I am counting down the days to bow season. Uh I'm just ready to get back in the outdoors and, and chase some things. How about you? Yeah, man. I, you know, I am outside getting teal decoys ready, um, getting spiders out of the blind bags, getting spiders out of the decoy <laughs> bags because I hate finding them at four in the morning, um, and just sweating profusely. Now, now, now the sweating that you do uh, where you currently live, I think, is a little worse than most places in the country. Why, why don't you kind of? share with everybody the, the, the humid environment that you call home. Yeah, it's a, we call it air you can wear. And, um, 
Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it has been, I'm in South Louisiana and it's been raining every day. It seems like it'll, it'll rain for an hour, hour and a half. Then the sun will come out and it's just, it's oppressive, dude. I mean, it's the, the, the humidity is up in the nineties, temperatures up in the, in the nineties, bugs all over the place. Beautiful. <laughs> it's hot and everything wants to bite you. <laughs> everything bites down here. <laughs> I, I grew up uh, the first half of my life in Slidell, um, Slidell, Metairie, and Kenner. And yeah, man, you're not too. That ain't too far from me. No, sir. No, sir. I think it. I think last year when I tried to to hook up with you, I ended up. I reached out and said, "Hey, man, you want to come on?" And then my equipment bit the dust, and uh, I wasn't able to have any guests on for for a long period of time. And uh, but I think then we talked about it, and uh, I do not miss walking out and feeling like somebody's breathing in my face, dude. It's uh, oppressive. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. But the fish are starting to bite again. So well, there you go. Gives you something to do. You got to look. Every dark cloud has a lining if you look hard enough for it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. <laughs> well, why don't you? Uh, I haven't done a real good job of introducing you thus far in the episode. So why don't you give everybody kind of a little introduction into who you are and uh, what your what you do every fall? Yeah. So we, um, I started, or I didn't, but it was led to kind of start a waterfowl ministry. I've been a duck hunter since, uh, you know, since before there were youth-sized waders and you had hand-me-downs and everything was four sizes too big. And, <laughs> um, and, and so I started a waterfowl ministry in 2011 called Revelation Outdoors. Um, we do a lot of speaking at different men's group churches, wild game dinners, um, just kind of sharing our, our testimonies. And I, when I say our, I will tell you what our, who the other ours is. Um, but just kind of sharing our testimonies, how we got to, to where we are, um, what our, what our faith looks like and what that, what it more, more importantly, what it doesn't look like. Um, and one of the ways that, uh, we came up with to that best maybe, you know, showcases that, is through video. So we started a video series um, about five years ago called Passionate Pursuit, and it is um, with the uh, with Brian Dryden, who owns Motion Culture Media um, in Baton Rouge, home of the Tigers, go Tigers! Um, and so uh, it, I, I got to get that in. You'll probably cut that out, but I had to get that in. No, I've got no. I got no. Out. I've got no <laughs> ill will there. Anything, <laughs> yeah, well, if you don't cut anything out, I assume that would be it. But, um, and, and so we 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 just kind of started filming even before passion or pursuit. I said, man, there's some things that we see, and you know this. Well, this is if you're a deer hunter, duck hunter, hog hunter, fisherman, it doesn't matter. You you see things that you're like, man, this is what I want people to. This is why I do it. You know, you just mm-hmm. you feel a connection with with things, and you just this is what this is what I want people to see. And so we, we started filming our duck hunts. Um, and that was even before passion or pursuit was a thing. Um, and we had all this footage like, all right, what, what are we going to do with it now? Like, hmm, never thought of that. Um, <laughs> so we started, we started putting it, putting it into episodes that had kind of a, um, a biblical message, uh, not a religious message, but just a biblical message. And what we're trying to do is just to get guys to think about Man, you're in a re- you're in a place right now. You were put there for a reason. Um, it's not by chance. It's not coincidence. 
Um, and you, you just you need to stop sometimes and just figure out why why am I here? Um, and we try and do that with our series. So Brian Dryden Motion Culture Media is our production company in Baton Rouge. Um, it, you know we've got uh, three field pastors: Lee Green, Neil Watson, and Matt Robertson, who kind of handle the um, the event planning portion of that, um, getting out and just our whole goal is to get in front of guys and just help them think, <laughs> you know, not beat sure. them in the face with a Bible, but just get them to think about, dude, do you really realize why you're here? Um, and the things that you see as things we see as outdoorsmen that very few other people and, and a, a shrinking number of people see every single year. There's fewer and fewer hunters every year. Um, but we see things that nobody else sees. And do you realize how blessed you are to see that? And so we've been doing that now um, for five years. This is our, our sixth year of filming. It'll be the fourth season of Passion and Pursuit um, coming up this this uh, this fall. That's awesome, dude. That yeah. That that's cool. To, I love the comment you made about well, we got all this video now. What are we going to do with it? Because that tends to be the opposite of most people that tell me it's like, oh, we decided to do this and and then we started recording and it's it kind of seems like uh, yeah. the foundation for what you're doing was there long before you started doing it. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it it was. I mean, we, you know, you get uh, seven thousand hours of of footage. You're like, okay, now what? <laughs> It's really yeah. cool, but now what do you want to do with it? And and, and but I, I say that in all honesty is we we didn't want to um, and and God has a way of humbling you even if you don't know He's doing it at the time. Uh, but w- one thing that Brian and I really didn't want to do is say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and it's going to look like this, and we're going to get this kill shot and that kill shot because we especially episode two of our first season, you see what happens when you do that. Um, nothing will go the way you plan it, but it will go exactly the way it has been planned. And the reason that it goes that way is you got to figure that out. There you go. So That's we, awesome. we definitely didn't, we definitely didn't start out. said we're going to be this and we're going to be that. And, you know, we wanted to do a series that was a little different um, than what you see on in you know, either on carbon TV or cable TV or even streaming shows of, Okay, so there's there's a talking head and there's an interview and then there's 45 seconds of this and then kill shot, kill shot, kill shot, then cut to a sponsor commercial, then come back to another time. <laughs> we didn't. We wanted to do like heavy, heavy B-roll, intensive, just right. beautiful footage, and let the footage tell that you will never see an interview with Joey or Neil or Lee or Matt or any of the the production guys, any of the camera guys, any of the aerial guys. Um, Cause it's not about us. And so when we did it, when we did our first season and we sent it off the carbon TV, we were like, we want it to be different. And we watched it and said, Hmm, that's, that's, that's pretty different. The, the music, the, the soundtracks that you hear behind it and the, you know, the, the musical groups that we've been really blessed to work with and the, the songs you hear aren't your typical mm-hmm. whack them and stack them soundtrack. And uh, we we're like, I don't know if anybody's really going to like this or not. <laughs> you know, because it, it was, it's pretty different. Um, but Lord Willems, it, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was well received. So pretty oh. happy with it. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal, man. I mean, y'all produce cinematic videos that are just absolutely stunning. I, 
I kind of think that y'all are doing to waterfowl what Heartland Bowhunter did to whitetail deer hunting. You know, it's it's um, yeah. it it's visually capturing more so than just you know, I I, I don't watch the Outdoor Channel much anymore. Um, but you know, I play it like if I'm cleaning the house, I'll put it on because it's at least better to have some form of hunting on there. But a lot of it's just kind of like I can't put my finger on it. It's 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 entertainment, but it's almost kind of mindless, right? Because you're sitting there just being bombarded with information and conversations for a, a three minute scene from a hunt and y'all's is a lot different in that it's just visually cap uh captivating from the very start and i found y'all i think uh oh man maybe two years ago i think somewhere mm-hmm. in that range and i and i and i went on a binge and just consumed all the content that y'all had and uh, <laughs> it was it was cool to connect with you on instagram and you it was also cool to see somebody with a big old beard uh, enjoy some piping hot black coffee in the in the duck blind. That's a staple, brother. <laughs> you, but thank you for your comments. That that we we wanted to do it differently, and it's it's. Um, I, I think when you turn on outdoor programming, you know you're going to see you before you see it a lot of times. Yeah, and that's the part that you know. Other than you know, guys act well. <laughs> uh, other than hunting over a big pile of corn that you don't see right right um it's um you you kind of know what you're what you're gonna see and we didn't we didn't want we didn't want to be that i mean there's some episodes um especially like that episode two of season one where dude we might have pulled the trigger six times in five days but oh i think i remember happens, that one i think i remember that yeah, well, yeah. The, the bottom line is whatever happens there's a story to be told there um, and like I said earlier, there's a reason for you, everything that happens, why you're there, who you're there with, um, it's all, it all happens for a reason. And what you need to do is just stop and figure out what that reason is. Um, and know that you are blessed to be experiencing that regardless of if you stack the truck bed full or you, you know, you got to, you got to stop and get hamburger meat on the way home. Cause you ain't cooking goose breast that night. <laughs> right i mean i'm with you man i i think that's where our platforms uh, if, if i'm so bold as to try and put us in the same category it's not really fair because you're definitely producing a much higher quality content than i am but i feel like that's kind of similar to what i'm trying to emulate here and that is you know i if i miss a deer i come on the podcast and i tell people you know if i have a if I go out and shoot three boxes of, of shells at ducks uh, flying at 100 miles an hour right on the surface of the water on public land and, and come home with, with three empty boxes of shells, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's what people get. And uh, I think that is one of the reasons why you're so successful is because you just put out there a real tangible product. And it, it's so incredibly relatable. I, I I'm mentoring as best as I can, as I can, a buddy of mine in duck hunting. And Mm -hmm. when he was first getting into it, I was like, find these guys, find these guys, watch their content, watch what they're doing. It's enjoyable. And it's, it's realistic. They're going to show you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he, he absolutely, absolutely loved it, man. It was great. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, man. It's nice. Thank you. I I hope y'all don't ever change a thing because it's, it's, uh, it's an awesome thing. I look forward to, to every season, but. I do have a question for you. Yeah. How the heck do y'all pick who's on the camera? <laughs> um, <laughs> we, it, 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 the ball, 
I tell you, if we could have gone back and changed it, it certainly wouldn't be me because I got a face for radio. I got a face for podcasts. <laughs> there is me no, both. there is no denying that. Um, it's just that we just we just film everything. I mean, Brian has a camera. It, it, it to be honest with you, it sometimes it's not annoying, but you just. Uh, he's going to hear this and go, man, you know, but it's sometimes you kind of wish it almost wasn't there, but after you do it for a while, you just, you know, it's like not even, I remember, (laughs) I remember our first, the first couple of years, you know, when we, because I, I am a full blown dyed in the wool timber hunter, you know, in green timber, if uh, it, you know, mallards breaking down through the trees, and putting their feet on the water. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> I mean, just, just plenty. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we'd get a bunch of them, and we'd whack a bunch of them, and I would always turn around and ask Brian if he got the shot. You know, did you get those? Did you get those? And it caused him a lot of editing. <laughs> so he's like, bro, just stop asking me if I, I got it. Just just don't ask. You know, it, I, I got it. So, we really don't um we just film everything and and however it comes out is how it comes out that's awesome dude that's so how long how long did it take you to adjust to having the camera there um i'm still it it's we're still adjusting to having the camera there sometimes um you know but i i tell you what i did learn uh quickly and brian has he is he'll he, he won't say this because he's humble um but he has such a great eye for angles and you know i'll explain to him like where birds are going to come from where they're going to break down they're going to use that lane in the trees right there and um i i've gotten much better um at helping him like i know his creative eye now and i kind of know what he's looking for and so he he and i just do a lot of things without even talking about it. Um, and we're still learning that. So you're never, I, I don't think I'm ever really used to the camera being there, but I'm getting more and more comfortable with it every year. That's awesome. Y'all, how many, how many States on average do y'all normally cover in a season? Oh, um, so let's see. We'll film in Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, um, Kansas, um, and we, we kind of try to, you know, to stay within 13 to 15 hours of home. So that, you know, that, but like this year we're going and we're changing our format a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but like this year, some things happened last year and I don't want to give the whole, the whole thing away, but some things happened last year um, that made us this year coming up going to get way outside of our comfort zone um and that means packing up packing up a trailer and driving two thousand miles north um and so it's um it it, i I don't want to give the whole thing away but the the short working on this year is something that we have never ever ever done um and dude whatever happens it's that's what you're going to see is exactly what happened. <laughs> that sounds awesome, dude. That's a, that's a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> I guess teaser, I, I guess after the season's produced, you need to come back on here and, uh, 
uh, elaborate on how that adventure went, but you know, being you know a ten thirteen hour drive from where you are, that puts you in just about the the best real estate for duck hunting or waterfowl hunting in general in, in the whole country. Yep. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. That, that uh, we're just we're blessed to be where we are, and it's it's the network of people that we have met along the way that even though you you may not see them on camera unfortunately as much as you see me or some of the other guys um they are just they're a bigger part of our success than anything that we can do collectively on our own um you know guys like travis sipe of duck wild waterfowl in kansas guys like ronnie condo in kansas guys like matt robertson in in uh in in arkansas guys like wade dixon and 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 those guys with tricks and outdoors in in texas um it's like having a network and a series of scouts that say, okay, it's right. They're here. Right. Uh, because without that, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's hard enough to kill ducks on a consistent basis in your backyard. Try, you know, pinpointing and being 13 to 15 hours away from home at, in the right place at the right time by yourself. You can't, you can't do it by yourself. Um, which there's a bigger life lesson there in general, but, um, you know, with our with our series, it would be impossible for us just to because we don't we don't go with a lot of outfitters, uh, we don't go with a lot of guides, we don't go on a lot of you know a lot of what you see on TV is well yeah I mean they're big time paid hunts and you know you, you're you're going to get some of the best stuff that you know you're going to be in the best position at the best time. We don't we don't typically do that. We're doing less and less and less of that, uh, as a matter of fact. So. That's awesome, though. I feel like that's more relatable content for ninety percent of the people who are going to be consuming it. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why. Like, um, I'm sure you're familiar with them, the the hunt public or the hunting public uh, folks on YouTube. Uh-huh. I yep. I absolutely adore their content, dude. I, I, every time an episode comes out, it, it's just so much more relatable to me because I'm a public land whitetail hunter. You know, I've got yeah. one little seventy five acre chunk that I can hunt that's private, but uh, the vast majority of my hunting is done on public land and, and I appreciate the struggles they go through and it's, it's, it's relatable. I, I love that. It's totally relatable. You're right. You know, one of the, the, the biggest regrets that I have, and it's not really much in my control, but just looking back, I, n- knowing what I do now, I, I look at it, I'm like, Oh gosh, I wish we had done it. You know, my dad was working the corporate life when we were in New Orleans and, uh, we never did any duck hunting at all we 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 didn't have time for that matter of fact i don't really have much of a a memory of of my father in uh in new orleans because he was working so much and you know that's that's fine i'm not upset with that but you know looking back now i could have cut my teeth on some awesome hunting there in, in in louisiana and i'm curious how did you how did you cut your teeth on on waterfowl so um i it it's funny because my dad didn't hunt um really most yeah no not not at all um he just wasn't an outdoorsman and um i had you know my my grandfather's always fish you, you can't find better fishing than down here oh yeah uh, you, no doubt you you can try but that's a long fight with a short stick we we got <laughs> some of the best fishing around um and so i i, I had um i had relatives that lived in kind of central louisiana that were you know they squirrel hunting and stuff like that and so i I don't know well i i I do know but 
I never really understood like why I just always wanted to be out, um, in the woods outside. If it was, you know, shooting a gray squirrel out of a tree or maybe shooting a dove or something like that. Um, so, you know, we, we had a pond, he had a pond in the back and my grandfather had a pond in the back of this property and there were some wood ducks that would come in and my cousins and I would, would shoot wood ducks. And that was the, that was really the first, uh, and that was, we didn't even have waders at the time. I mean, it was called, you would just go in tennis shoes and jeans. And once you got down in the water, you were relatively warm because the, the water is a lot warmer than the air around you. Um, and that's like, that's how I cut my teeth on. We didn't have waders. Um, wow. we didn't. And, and I remember when I got my first pair of those rubber red ball waders. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh dude. I was like, uh, that was it. But uh, it wasn't really until um, later in, in high school and then especially when, when I went to LSU with some fraternity brothers that they really hunted the marsh a lot down in southeast Louisiana. You know, Hopedale and Delacro and that oh, yeah. New Orleans, you know where that is. Um, and, man, I, I remember my first marsh hunt, we'd paddle out to the marsh, you know, paddle out to the marsh and blind and get that set up and, Get, and the, the first group of gray ducks that came in, and I don't, I can't tell you if I hit one or not. Um, <laughs> but it, that was, that was it. Like hook, line, sinker, the whole everything that was, I had found what I wanted to do forever. <laughs> that that was it. And you know, uh, guys that don't that don't hunt. I mean, if you whitetail hunt, you know that sickness. If you duck hunt, you know that sickness. Um, but it wasn't until I, it was December 11th of 2010. I started hunting some flooded timber up in the Mississippi Delta. And, um, you know, that is, that is one of the, and that's, as, that's as specific as I will get is the Mississippi Delta. Um, <laughs> we, we, we don't kiss and tell here. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, I, I struggled with a, a lot of things, you know, just, personally just kind of trying to figure out why i'm here you know what what is this we're on the we have to, there has to be something more than just if you're lucky 7 80 you know maybe 90 years of existence and there's nothing else here why am i on this giant ball that's circling the sun why what am i here for um and without getting too deep into the testimony part of it um it wasn't standing next to a big cypress tree december 11th of, of 2010 is where I really just came to know what my creator expected of me and, and, and what he really, what he did for me. There were some events that were happening before that, that kind of led to that realization. Um, but it was standing in, in, in 48,527 acres of, of flooded Tupelo swamp. I can take you to the tree where it happened. I just said, I, I am, you know, I, I understand a lot now about, um, what what my creator did for me on the cross and i fully accept it um i accepted christ as my my savior standing next to a a big cypress tree and um picture of it's on my facebook page someplace if you dig deep enough um and that's where that's where i was saved and that's where i had my revelation outdoors which is kind of where the name of the ministry came from um and i i joke when i speak because i said i was i was saved and baptized in the same in, in the same oh, morning no. because I, yeah, I, I turned around to walk back to the bank and there was a beaver run that I knew was behind the 
tree because I've avoided it for, you know, seven <laughs> or eight years. That morning, I went down, and there was nobody. So it was a full, show enough, <laughs> legit baptism at the toe. Um, but that's kind of where the whole ministry started. That's where we got the name. That's where, that's the whole point was, you know, if I can experience through his creation, you know, how much he loves mankind, um, there's got to be some other cats just like me that would respond in a non-religious way using duck hunting to spread that, you know, that truth. So that's that's how the whole thing started. Um, cutting my teeth, shooting, shooting wood ducks and swimming out into a pond to get them when I was, you know, not even 11 or 12 years old. But that's where it that ball was put in motion a long time ago. And it's deposited me and Brian and our team where we are now. That's an awesome story, man. That's yeah. That's that's too cool. It, it's it's funny. I think there's going to be a lot of listeners. We have a big base in the in the south, and uh, we also have an equally, if not slightly larger, base up north, um, depending on the episode. But uh, the, the southern only, I think, only the southern listeners are gonna are gonna hear the the Tupelo and and Wood Duck uh, entry. And, and really, you know, go back down memory lane because I I don't think a whole lot of people up north uh, during the, the 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 first split get to experience a good wood duck shoot. Oh yeah, that'll that'll get you that that that'll crank your tractor in the morning. Right there. <laughs> it sure is. It will. It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. So we moved to southeast Georgia, which is obviously uh, the duck mecca of the southeast. Oh yeah, and yeah, that's been that's a bucket list hunt of mine, man. <laughs> And we, I had, I was literally given every opportunity. I was fortunate enough to hunt, you know, quail, dove, rabbit, deer, duck. For some reason, other than that, I cannot identify. I chalk it up to just being a rebellious, know-it-all youth. My dad's passion was was bird hunting, and I refused to do anything but a dove shoot. Yeah. And one day we we flooded this this Tupelo gum swamp. I bet you it wasn't, man. I bet you it wasn't more than a, a an eight to ten acre swamp. And we put a well in, and we could control the water flow. And the very first season we went in there, it hadn't had water in it, and I think like ten years because it had been drained mm-hmm. off. It was also a a pine row plantation, so that all the canals ran away from it, so all the water ran right. Off. And so that was the first year it had water. And I walked back in there in some green rubber frog tog waders with my turkey vest on. And uh, I think it was a Columbia, or not Columbia, a Cabela's long sleeve uh, Western t-shirt. It, was, it wasn't even, like, I just a hodgepodge of stuff, man. And we walked out there. My dad had to beg me to go out there, Joey. Beg me to go out there. Get out there, and just before the end of shooting light, just like wood ducks do, they all start yeah. getting up off the water. And the first group of ten got off, and I could hear those those wings whistling. And I thought, oh, that's cool. That's stirring something deep inside me I hadn't felt before. And then the right. next group of 20 came up, and then the next group of 20. And before long, the big group got up off that water. And I kid you not, if it wasn't two to 300 wood ducks getting off that, that pond out of that thick stuff, and flying out of there, my dad, he shot one, and I heard it hit a tree behind us, and we could never find it. It was like the only shot we could get before the end of legal shooting light. And we found mm-hmm. it on the way out. Joker had hit the tree so hard, it had, it had pulled every feather off the breast on the way down. <laughs> it was awesome. 
I I got back in that truck with him that evening. Didn't say a word. I bet you for forty five minutes, which you're going to come to find with me not talking doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I was so utterly hooked for the next three years. Every dollar I had went into to waiters. It went into jackets. It went into calls, decoys. I was consuming every bit of, of content I can. I am never going to forget cutting my teeth in that Tupelo swamp, man. It, it's just unreal. It'll 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 make you. I call it a sickness for a reason. It'll make you crazy. Well, it'll make you do some crazy things too. Like in that duck mecca, huh. there was only one swamp public land swamp that you could hunt and we would get out there at 7 7 p.m on a friday night so that you could hold your spot you and every mm-hmm. other b- boy in that in southeast georgia and some of northeast florida would drive up and you'd hold your spot overnight sleeping in the bottom of a john boat yeah i mean that's that's absurd yeah, and then at daylight and then the daylight somebody comes set up next to you oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> That's that you just you know you just break out the ten gauge with the twenty eight inch barrel and the extra full choke and and hope you can knock one out of the stratosphere. Yeah, I mean that's all it was. It was one big glorified duck shoot, and you had about twenty minutes of shooting light. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was awesome. It was uh, I know those well. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> the di- the difference though being is uh, I, I I believe this still holds true there in in Louisiana. Y'all shoot more ducks. Uh, than any other state almost every year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, yep. 20, 20, it's, it's like 20 million annually, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't looked at it lately, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big number. But I mean, I, I tell you, you're going to see those, I think, decline. Number one, because the, the number of hunters is declining. Um, but our wetland loss is ridiculous. I know, it's, it's sad. And, and so most of the birds that, you know, we don't get me wrong. We kill our fair share along the river or along the estuary and along the deltas down here. But, uh, you know, we're going to talk about teal season too. Most of the, most of the teal that are killed in Louisiana are killed in the Southwestern part of the States and the rice fields where everything is controlled. There's no wetland loss. You, you know, you've got feed, you know, you've got water, you know, mm. so, and you know, the birds know it too. And it's getting to be where if you want to have a really good, a really good teal shoot that's that's the direction that you have to that you have to go in um you can still kill them in the marsh when the marsh is good down here you cannot beat it not with a stick really um oh yeah but there's so many different variables with tide with if you get a tropical storm where the mm. water comes up um it it burns all of the all the coontail and widgeon grass and smart weed and all the other stuff that grows in the, you know, the wild millet that grows in the marsh naturally, yeah. it's gone. So your season's gone. You just need one storm and that's, and it doesn't have to, it, it's getting to where it doesn't have to be as severe as a hurricane anymore. It can just be a little tropical storm that pushes salt water up into the marsh and your season's done. Um, and so a lot of guys now um, are, are, you know, moving their operations and that to the southwestern part of the state um but when the marsh is good you can't beat it but when it's bad you just waffle house gets a lot of business that morning (laughs) that is my go-to man i swear we might be brothers from different mothers because first off i'm the only person in my of all my duck hunting buddies let me let me rein that back of my three duck hunting buddies uh i'm the only one that drinks coffee coffee in the blind none of them will touch it if it's black which just works out for me just fine and mm. and after a bad hunt there's nothing i want more than waffle house and everybody else just wants to go back to sleep dude 
I, I don't get it. No. Man. I don't get it. No. Ham and cheese omelet plate, baby. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, <laughs> you bring something up that's kind of interesting. And uh, the, the duck hunter in me is conflicted, and I'm sure you'll kind of feel the same way. You know, you, you talk about hunter numbers declining. As a public land duck hunter, that does not immediately make me sad. Right. <laughs> but, oh gosh, I feel so guilty for having said that. But realistically, it, it's a serious problem because waterfowl hunters are leading the charge, what charge there is to lead right now, on, on restoring those wetlands, like trying to stop mm-hmm. that, that problem. And that, Well, and hunter, and hunter recruitment, too, is a sure. big, 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 big thing. Well, and that's that's where I was going with this is when I grew up I had a mentor. You know, I think I was just I was either I was either very rare or I was just at the edge of the of the age gap of of where duck hunters had mentors going into their into their uh their outdoor um lifestyles. Mhm. Do you feel like there's a lack of mentorship coming down uh, for this next generation or uh uh well I would say yes. Um, it, it's getting harder and harder to find, but I think that the mentors that you do find are way more passionate and get the the severity of and the importance of what they're doing. Sure. Um, so while I think mentorship just in general is, you're probably right, declining, I think um, it's more concentrated with the mentors that you have left. Like they, they get the importance of it because look, duck stamp numbers continue to drop. Um, number of hunting licenses you can look at it can continues to drop. It's not much longer before, you know, like fish and wildlife services. There's 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 just not there, there's not the money in it right. to to protect this p this little patch of CRP or WRP. Um, and and it, I, I'll tell you, the antis are ramping it up. Oh yeah, and so. That's the other side of the coin is you've got the people who are protecting, uh, protecting that resource are getting more and more pressure um, to close access or to, uh, you know, access in general, I think, in a lot of these public land places is just way, way too difficult. Um, but you, and on the other side of the coin, you, they're getting hammered from antis and they're looking at the, the, the funds dwindling. It's just it's like you're running out of you know, real estate to stand and fight on. What is your, your message to the duck hunters who are listening right now where mm-hmm. you're, where we all know the battle and that is there's never enough public land water with good spots. How do you right. convince them? I feel like <clears throat> I'll just say it directly. I feel like waterfowl hunters are the least likely to take someone hunting just due to, the limited nature of, of spots to hunt for, for waterfowl. Whereas I'll gladly take somebody to my, my C D and E spot for, for, for whitetail. I think a little more carefully about who I take duck hunting. Well, you just got to blindfold them. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. Case closed, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen, Joe, uh, Joey spoke. Uh, look, I, 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 I may take you, but I will never show you. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think, if you focus on, I've got to get, you know, I'm bringing these guys out to hunt and we got to have a great hunt to get them hooked. And that's not mentorship because if it, it, you have already lost, if you are banking on, we need to have a flat out whack and stack. 
morning because you know as well as I do, those are rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you focus on the experience itself, into I mean, from the night before getting decoys ready to the boat ride out or the walk-in, however you do it, to you know what you do with that new potential hunter while you're out there, it's all about what you expose them to. Mm-hmm. And if you if you show disappointment because you know oh we only killed two it was a terrible morning well you know that that person is not coming back but if you focus on the experience of just what just what that moment meant and you were that moment and you were created to intersect at that particular time for a reason you know you will never it's how we approach our whole series there's something that happens. That is important, regardless of whether you pull the trigger or not. Because um, if you go to hunt just to just to kill nine times out of ten, you're going to be disappointed. So you need to change the focus. Um, and I think guys that are into to mentoring and do, they they get that. Um, but if you focus on, you know, we've got to have this big time melt the barrel down. You've already lost. <laughs> Burn, burn the mojo decal off the end of the barrel. I got you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. That's yeah, that's exactly right. Man, it didn't look like the, it didn't look like that on Duck Dynasty. Well, you know. Okay, okay. I wasn't going to bring it up, but you brought it up. Do you think we're finally past the Duck Dynasty surge? Man, I hope so. <laughs> look, I, I've known I've known Phil for a long time. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, the whole family is, is, you know, they're, they're, they're great people. They, they are just how you see them on TV. Um, but that, that they're, <laughs> uh, I don't know. How to, uh, it leaves you conflicted. No, I didn't know you knew the, knew, it, knew them. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it, it has, it has <clears throat> done something to the sport that I think the guys that are out there just to kill and just say, look at me, look at me they have found other ways of, of doing that. Yeah. You know, they'll lower the back ends of their trucks now to say, look at me, look at me. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> the East coast drag or whatever it is. Oh, bulldogging. Yeah. I, it, it was, it was bad there for a couple of years, man. Like it was, cause all that happened just in, again, I was hunting in that little finite swamp over there in Southeast Georgia when all that happened. And the first, the year, I cut my teeth and got into it like hard. It wasn't that way. And I'd go out there and it was crowded, but it wasn't bad. And everybody was pretty respectful. And it was the very next year Duck Dynasty came out. And it was like, I'd show up to the ramp at 1 a.m. And I'm beat there by like 25 pickup trucks with Duck Dynasty stickers in the back. I was like, what the heck just happened? What the yep. actual heck just happened? And, and, and then I put two and two together, you know? So, yep. But it is what it is. We, we we can get up about four or five o'clock now and, and, and make it to most spots around here, but man, it was uh, I think I exciting. think guys that got into it thinking it, you know, they were gonna be the that they realize that it's it's not easy. Um they no. a lot of people don't realize the the homework and the you know, the scouting and you can't just go any place where there's water and throw a dozen decoys out and blow your horn and think they're gonna drop in. The ducks are not stupid. No. <laughs> and and you know our best hunts especially on the public land look where we our very first episode um of season one was filmed on 
public ground in that Tupelo swamp, and it is a mile and a half walk in, and it's a mile and a half walk out. That's what I'm talking about. And I have found myself, the, the, the harder it is for me to get to, the fewer people I have to deal with when I get there. Yep. And usually, the harder it is for me to get to, the, the better the hunting's going to be, especially if I've walked there the day before and I see feathers on the water. Um, that, that, to me, is, you know, you guys can hunt up by the road if you want, but I'm going, and anybody that's hunted with me will tell you this, um, I've got a pretty good gait. And when I see headlights behind me, I find a different <laughs> I find a different gear, and you can either keep up or I'll hold the spot for you. But I'm going. <laughs> we used to. So we, I gosh, you're taking me back, man. I uh, when I first started duck hunting, I had a minivan to drive. That's all I had, and we called it the Swagger Wagon. It was a 2001 <laughs> Toyota Toyota Sienna minivan. Had no working. Oh man, yeah, it had no working AC. The, the driver's side window didn't move. The, the passenger door on the, on the back in the back was broken from the outside. It was just, it was a, a beautiful, reliable 24 miles to the gallon pickup truck for me. <laughs> and, and we would, we would be on our way up to this, this marsh hole and we would stop at the gas station and load up on coffee and little Debbie's and all kinds of stuff. And we'd put on all of our gear right there at the gas station. We, we we would come screaming up to the landing. Of course, there's like 10 other trucks there. And everybody's waiting for that breaking point. Like how many more people can show up before everybody's got to run in there? And we would come screaming into this marsh, jump out, grab our shotguns, throw the decoys over our shoulder, and just start huffing it. And everybody's trying to get to that X. Oh, it was terrible, yeah. dude. I'm so what? So do y'all stay uh, right there in Louisiana for your for the, for the teal season, or do y'all start traveling that early? No, um, typically it, teal season. If there's birds in the southeastern part of the state, we'll we'll stay here. Um, it's it's early. We haven't seen any um, yet. Not to not enough to get really fired up about. Um, but we will typically. Um, we will head to Kansas. We, we it, it's good because now we, we've done enough. We kind of, we kind of get a little bit of a route without doing the same thing all the time. Um, but we'll head to Kansas early, you know, November ish. Um, this year, our season is going to start really early a little bit about the, uh, the short film that we're, we're 2000 miles. You can look at a map and know that's Canada, right? Right. So that's that's going to be um that's going to be the end of october uh so we'll start there we'll we'll do a little bit of filming during teal season if there's um if there's uh if there's you know enough birds to to get out there and and i I typically i like teal hunting um i like it i guess just because it's the first thing that comes around other than dove season (laughs) um but it's 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 hot there's alligators all over the place if there were snakes in the marsh i wouldn't go i'm just telling you now um (laughs) one of the reasons why i don't turkey hunt is because i am absolutely terrified of snakes and you can ask anybody that's hunted with me before you when when you see that headlight when we're walking in and it's still kind of warm and you see the headlight going up and down up and down up and down i'm looking for no shoulders because there are Congo cottonmouths in that swamp that luckily you can smell them long before you see them. Oh, but yeah. um, teal season, 
for for us, it's I've never been. I've never been just, I can't wait for TLC. I can't wait. to. There are guys down here that, you know, teal season is what they live for. Right. And I'm just, I'm not one of those. I love going and shooting them. I, I love the, just the aspect of it's finally around the corner. Yeah. Uh, but our season for us really doesn't start until you can get on big ducks or early geese or something like that. Well, so it's, it's funny. So in Southeast Georgia, the one thing we have the most of, is wood ducks. I mean, we are just blessed with just an overabundance of wood ducks. Yeah. The, but I always dreamed about other ducks because there are a few other species, believe it or not, for yeah. all my southern listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first one I shot was a was a hen green wing teal, and not long thereafter, another single came in, and it was a it was a drake. I think they were a pair just the way they both wanted to be in this one spot. It was so unique to see them in that Tupelo swamp. And Mm -hmm. I shot both of them and I'll, and I ended up missing like four opportunities at ducks because I was sitting there holding these two birds, looking at them just so captivated by how handsome those birds were. They basically, to Mm -hmm. me, they they look like little, well, the hen looks like a little, uh, like a model duck of sorts. And they're just so pretty birds and they taste delicious. Oh yeah, they are teal. I I would dare say, I would give for a great teal hunt. I would give up just about any other hunt I've been on to date. I I absolute hot weather, cold weather, I do not care. But my best hunts have been teal hunts thus far, yeah. and I love those little jokers, dude. Oh yeah, it's like shooting a bottle rocket. It is. That's a good way of saying it, man. <laughs> but like I said, down here, you, you've got to really, if you want your best chance at just big droves of teal, like you just, like you dream of. Right. It, you know, you just, you don't, it, it, we don't have the feed in the marsh to hold them. You'll get them coming through. Um, and if you happen to be in the right place at the right time, you have some shots at some big groups like that. But Southwest Louisiana, where the rice fields are, that, that's where the and the guys are going to wind up cursing me because you know man you're sending all the people here but um you know if you've got you know eight thousand dollars for a pit blind you can go hunt there and the farmers have figured that out so uh-huh. it's um teal teal season is getting to be more and more difficult but i mean you do get out you do get to actually hunt ducks um which you you know you wait for for you know six months seven yep. months so yep yeah. yeah, we it was uh, 2016. My my ride or die duck hunting buddy uh, had to have his third knee replacement. He's had some real bad knee problems, and he had to have that. He was on call. He was actually waiting for a knee uh, a knee graft. So he was kind of just you know sitting on that that list of people needing it, and we didn't know when it was going to happen. And sure enough, it was about three weeks before duck season happened, and. Mm. He convinced his doctor in early December. So it was three weeks before the opener split. So it was the beginning of November. He convinced his doctor in early uh, December through very crafted sentences like, hey, am I capable of sitting up straight with my leg out? And the, 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 the doctor goes, yeah, yeah, you are. He goes, so could I sit in a kayak? If I just sat perfectly still in a kayak, would that be safe with my knee in the brace? He's like, yeah, why do you want to be in a kayak? He's like, doesn't matter. You said I can sit perfect. And he said, yeah. So <laughs> I get a call from him. He's like, hey, man, here's the deal. 
I can't do anything. I can't carry anything. I can't. I, literally, all I could do is sit in this kayak, and I'm going to try and paddle, but you may have to tow me out there as well. And we did it, dude. For the whole season, we did that. In January 6th of 2016, I even remember the date, dude. We went out there. We had this massive for Florida cold front come through, blew a bunch of birds down, and we had group of 20 after 30 after 20 of green wing teal buzz our little kayak blind out in the marsh with the sun behind our back and it was hitting it you could just see the coloration it was absolutely stunning and it was i think i remember some of your posts from that yeah yeah it was just oh it was a for me it was a once in a lifetime experience and for him being in that brace it was just and again i say that to say this again teal came in <laughs> and saved the saved the season for my buddy and it happened to be yeah. you know the the most memorable hunt i i love those jokers but you know we we that's what that's what that's what you know duck hunting brothers yeah do i mean if 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 the guys that i hunt with i i would have no reservation about packing one of them in if i had to oh absolutely because i know they would do the same thing me yep they'd want me to lose a little bit of weight before uh, i'm not a i'm not a small guy by any means so you know it may take two of them to pet but they would do it and i would do it for them Uh, you know it's just that's that's the way we're we're wired because we we know the passion we 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 know intimately the passion so absolutely dude And, and and there's no way any of us would let uh one of our brothers sit on the sideline while we were out there enjoying it. If, if all it takes is uh, you being the one to have to load up the gear, it was an absolute no brainer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I've kept you on the phone for, for a good little while now. And yeah. I'd like to hit you with some questions because yeah. in my mind, you must have a wealth of knowledge that you can share with people. And I would or love... are you going to be disappointed? <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all for this one. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> what – and I like asking these questions to people who are really immersed in their subject area, and that is what advice would you give to up-and-coming duck hunters? Let's say that don't have a mentor right now. What advice would you give them either to get a mentor or to obtain knowledge to, to still get out there and, and have some semblance of success? Well, I'm going to tell you, so the mentor part with social media now, it's a, it's so much easier to connect with people um, than, than it was when, 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 you know, you started or I started um, it, you would have to really like, you'd have to like hang out places and, and, you know, you have to be at the, at the launch and, and meet people and talk to people. And, but now with, with social media, it's so much easier to just kind of, I don't, I don't want to say troll, but just to get on there and look and, and see, you can tell a lot about how people are wired by their posts and what they say. And, um, that would be one place that, that I would start to be successful though. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not scouting, you ain't killing. There's just, there's no, and, and the guys that, that I hunt with will tell you, you know, while we're hunting, I'm always like, like looking around, let's, okay, well, there's birds circling there. And I, I know the landscape enough to know that there's another slough over there. There's a beaver pond over there. Um, and so when we're finished hunting, I'll, I'll burn more boot leather 
scouting than I ever will hunting. And, you know, rarely do we hunt the same hole twice. Um, you, you really? know, where, Oh no, 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 no. That's a, that's, we, we definitely, it, you know, with, with the public land, I'm, I'm talking about public land. If sure. you've got private land, that's different. You know, we don't even have to talk about that. Um, if you've got private land to hunt, then you don't need a lot of mentoring. You, and you know, where they drive the truck right up to them most times. Right. Um, but on public land, um, you know, if we burn them down in the hole one morning, we'll, we'll move someplace else. And here's the reason why. Number one, the, the, the obvious reason is, all right, you've blowed them up one day. You just educated a bunch of birds as to where not to fly, where things go boom when you get low. Mm. Um, but you've also educated a bunch of hunters that are listening to you shoot the, you know, shoot the crap out of them and guess where they're going the next morning. Oh, smart. Guess where they're going to try and beat you to next morning, where they heard all that shooting from. Um, and so, you know, typically the, the topo maps and the aerial maps and the stuff that you can get on Google earth that you never could when I started hunting, I mean, it was like the old standard, the old standard maps that you would use for fishing. That's what you had. You know, there wasn't Google maps and all these other things that you, so knowing the surrounding area and watching birds where they work, um, and knowing where to go scout and look for the next morning's hunt is, it's, you know, it's, it's critical because you got to have options. You, you can't, if you, if you're booked on just, we're going to hunt this one hole, if that's all you have in a public area, that's all you have. Um, but if you, you got to know what your options are when things dry up. And the biggest thing I can say is scout and never hunt the same hole twice, you know, two days in a row, because you're going to have company the next day if you burn them up the day before. So, what are the what is the biggest mistake you consistently see new duck hunters make? Blowing their duck call. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you've got guys that think that because they can see a duck, they have to call at that duck. Um, and I don't care how good you can be, you know, Jim Ronquest from R and T. He doesn't put birds on the water all the time. You can't call all the ducks all the time. The, the, the biggest mistake I see is people that think they can and people that are working birds, they blow the calls that they hear guys blowing on the outdoor channel. And well, you know, so-and-so blows it like this. So it's got to work. You no, know, you have to be able to look at the birds and see how they're reacting to the call that you're blowing and know how to change it up to get the reaction that you want. And that's just something that you're not going to, you're not going to get on a video. You're not going to get on the TV show. That's just experience being out there and knowing that they, they don't want the soft nasally quack. They want to be chopped on today, or they don't want to roll and feed and call. They just want a couple of clucks when they're, it's, it's all about having the experience to read birds and see them react to the call that you're blowing at the time and having, having enough sense to know that what I'm doing is not working. I've got to try something else just because they do it on TV or they do it on a calling competition. I've ne- Phil said this best: a live duck would never place in a calling competition. Wouldn't wouldn't place. But you see these guys that just go out there, and I think they got an air compressor in their pocket, man, because they just <laughs> are all day just laying on it. Um, the other thing I tell you, the reason that we kill most of the birds that we kill is not because I'm such an outstanding duck caller, but it's uh, 
the, the old tried and true jerk strings. You've got to have motion in your spread. Mm. If you if you if your plastic ducks are just sitting there looking like plastic ducks, that's what you're going to get all morning is plastic ducks. You know, I, I'd I'd also dare to add to the calling component of it is uh, sometimes I have found on heavily pressured public land, if you're trying to draw attention to your area, right? Say say you you believe you're on the X, or you're really close to it, and everybody's hail calling on their mallard mallard calls. I sometimes use confidence calls. You know, people talk about mm-hmm. confidence decoys all, decoys all the time. I sometimes use all I all I run are Haydale calls too. By the way, but um, that's what I have. That's what I have in my hand. Yeah, I mean, it's a great call. It's a incredibly affordable call. I run the Red Leg or the BR eighty five. I have both. Yeah, I have I'm both. Looking at both of them right yeah. now. That's I've what also I to call on the one I use the most is the Gadwall. I use oh, the yeah. Gadwall call. All year long, not all hunt every hunt, guys. But all year long, I have had the the teal that I called in that that morning that I described to y'all. Everybody on the pond was blowing teal calls from from a blue wing teal like the the BB uh, ten that that Haydell makes. Yep. Or is it the eighty five now? I can't remember. But uh, you mean uh, you mean this one? Yep, that, that one yep. right there. Yep. They were throwing that. They were just doing the the green wing teal peeps. And I just would every once in a while do a dat, dat, dat on the gad wall. And you would see them literally just lock their wings and pull a 90-degree uh, turn and come right it's to Because it's us. something different. It is. It's something, it is. it's something that they're used to hearing when there's live birds. Yep. But they've seen every 3 by 5 square grassed-in box. Yep. And everybody blowing a mallard call or peeping a teal call. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, Dude, I'm that's, not a, that's, a good, that's a good point. Um, I, I have brought in many, many greenheads with that old gadwall call. Really? Oh yeah. See, there you go. Oh yeah. That's 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 Just the that, only that, nugget that, I have that, to that, add. That. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So next question: the most expensive decoys or the most expensive call? If you had to pick one of those for a new hunter, what would you what would you have them buy? Um, the most expensive decoys or the most expensive call, I would spend money on my decoys. Why? Um, because I think you can do everything that you need to do on this. I mean, like this DR-85 that I have in my hand. That's If you can do that, you can call most of the ducks that you you need to. If you're it, The more realistic your decoys look, this is my opinion. The more realistic your decoys look, and that's in in paint, in position, but also whether they're moving or not, um, you will flare birds with a duck call. You will not flare birds with decoys, I, in my opinion. Now, again, the guys are, you know, somebody will disagree with me, but that's that's my opinion. So, Mojo or a jerk string? Uh, jerk string, always. Or even early season? Any, any, any ducks move, <laughs> ducks on the water will move. Um, it, it doesn't matter what time of the season. And so the more your spread looks lifelike, that the, 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 the more effective you're going to be. Um, the mojos, I, look, I, I'm one of these guys where less is more. And if I have something mechanical that can, I'm, you know, I'm an old Navy guy. So 
Uh, I believe in Murphy's Law, and Murphy will show up. <laughs> and if you have a wing nut or a anything with a battery, I hate. Anything that has a battery, I hate. <laughs> so, because that's just that's a weakness in the chain. You're not partnered with Mojo, are you? No. Okay, good. I can leave that in there. <laughs> I hate anything with a battery. Other than a flashlight. So. Right, right. All right, here's my last question for you. Yeah. If you could go back to 20-year-old Joey, yeah. and you could share one singular piece of advice that would change how you duck hunted, your success, your enjoyment in the outdoors, what one singular piece of advice, looking back now, would you go back and share? Manage and temper your expectations and understand the real importance of why you're there. That would be the the one thing that I would tell guys or I would tell myself um, 20 years back is that you can't call all the ducks all the time. You can't shoot every duck all the time. Sometimes you it just because the hunt itself didn't live up to your expectation of what you were going to harvest, there was something there that happened that points to a bigger um, a bigger purpose of why you're there. And it's 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 your job. It's your responsibility to figure out what that is. That's awesome, dude. And you didn't even you didn't. I'm I'm disappointed. Normally, when I ask people that question, they have to stop for a second and think about it. You fired right off. You you were ready for that. Yeah. Well, it's just that's 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 what I think is the truth. Um, you know, it's like fishing. If you go just to catch fish, you don't understand why you're out there fishing. There you go. I lied to you, Joe. I'm gonna ask you one more question. Okay. Go ahead. What state is your favorite to duck hunt in? Uh, my favorite state to duck hunt in would be Mississippi. Really? Timber? Yep. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's it's awesome. It's just, dude. yeah, I mean, if, if if they said you can only hunt one place, like only one scenario, one place, pick one place that you had you had access to and you can hunt in, that's, but that's the only thing that you can do, I know the tree that I would stand by, so... <laughs> that's awesome man that's cool uh, no brainer well unless you have any any closing thoughts to the conversation i'd love it if you would uh kind of share with everybody where they can find all your different uh social media and video yeah. avenues yeah so social media um facebook we've got the revelation outdoors uh page you can find that just searching revelation outdoors passionate pursuit as their page <clears throat> excuse me with all of the uh the links to the episodes, um, Twitter at Passion of Pursuit, um, YouTube channel. You can just search uh, Passion of Pursuit and our channels there. Um, and www.revelationoutdoors.com, passionofpursuit.com. Um, you can pretty much just do a word search on Revelation Outdoors or Passion of Pursuit to find everything. If you just Google it or Yahoo it or Bing it, one or the other. That's awesome, man. Dude, if you'll hang on a second, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this morning and or afternoon. It just feels like it's morning still for me, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat this afternoon. If you'll hang on one second, I'm going to close this out, and I just want to chat with you afterwards briefly. No, man, I, I appreciate your podcast. I, I love them all. You do a great job, and uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm really happy that you uh, that you had me on. So I, we we appreciate it. Thank you. Well, dude, I, I tell you what, I'd love to have you on more frequently. Maybe you and I can work out a series that we could uh, crank out in the fall uh, in, in preparation for next year, and we can we can uh, uh, do a, a waterfowl uh, series for next fall is what I'm trying to say. Goodness gracious. Any Anything you want, brother, just let me know. Awesome. Well, guys, I know you enjoyed that podcast because I enjoyed the heck out of that podcast. And – since you enjoyed it, why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and when you're done with that subscribe button, leave me a rating and review, and if you send me a screenshot, I'll send you a decal my way of saying thank you for being a listener and thank you for giving us a review. And I hope you you, you listen to my encouragement and you go out there and you, you consume all of the Passion of Pursuit content because it's all equally awesome, and it's, it's an incredible group of guys to, to follow through their journey every fall. So until next time, y'all be good and get your butts outside. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.